Welcome to the Life and Legacy Show, where we discuss all things elder law, estate, and legacy planning. Hosted by certified elder law attorney, Tim Seckler, from the Seckler Law Firm. And now your host, attorney Tim Seckler. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Life and Legacy Show, sponsored by the Seckler Law Firm, where great families make great estate plans. If you are new to our little radio show here, uh, I am uh, Tim Seckler. I am the owner of the Seckler Law Firm, and I am a certified elder law attorney. And so for the last 10 years or so, I have been helping people preserve their families' uh, finances, their legacy for future generations, and the effort to uh, make sure that the things that you've been working hard for your whole life actually get to the people uh, you want to have them rather Rather than um, some uh, broken government rule book, nursing home, long-term care expense, whatever the case may be. I don't believe that you have worked your whole life to accumulate some stuff just to lose it in the, uh, in the final chapter. And so what we're going to do is we're going to educate you on how you can protect yourself, protect your family, and make sure that we are setting you guys up for success and so we can help create a better future for your family uh, using your stuff to do that. Now, that requires some education. You know, Those are some pretty simple goals. Uh, but sometimes simple goals require some complicated solutions to get them there. And unfortunately, we've got this really complicated government rule book that requires people to go broke if they need long-term care or get hit with death taxes and some different things that uh, a lot of my clients seem to want to protect assets against. And so if we want to protect assets, we've got to do some work, and that's what this radio show is all about. Now, uh, please remember to not make any legal or financial decisions based on what you hear on this or any other radio show. This is for your information, for your education. I am not your attorney. Um, you are welcome to engage my law firm for some legal services. You can reach us at any point in time at 724-546-4227 or go to estateplantim.com. Estateplantim.com. Um, the law firm is called the Seckler Law Firm, but my last name is hard to spell, so estateplantim.com seemed to be a little easier for you to find. Uh, so when you're there, check out the resources tab. You're going to find some workshops that you you. Uh, should register for. We have them in Cranberry Township pretty frequently. We also have a couple upcoming in South Point. Uh, and what we're doing is we're going around town and teaching people all the things that you need to do to protect yourself from things like taxes and long-term care expenses. We teach you the difference between wills and trusts, revocable trusts versus irrevocable trusts. Why are people using trusts? Why is this becoming more popular? And so what I want you to do is have the, all the uh, information you need in order to make a great decision. Uh, and that seems to me uh, to be uh, best done in a class. So we, we do this workshop uh, around town teaching people the things that they need to know. Now, it being uh, the 4th of July weekend, let me just say happy 4th of July, happy Independence Day. I hope you are enjoying yourself either now or are going to be this weekend. Uh, and uh, I hope you're uh, listening to this in the car on the way to the lake or some other place that will be a ton of fun for you this weekend. Um, and uh, let me give you a, a couple of things. Now, I thought we could have some fun being a holiday weekend and all. Uh, rather than just hitting you with technical, 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 I thought it might be fun to take a look at uh, what our founding fathers did with their estate planning. Now, so these are the guys that wrote the Declaration of Independence. It seems to me that they seem to be guys that like to look forward uh, to a better future and plan ahead, and they definitely had a knack for uh, the written word. And so we're going to take a look at a couple of estate plans and, and how they actually kind of screwed some stuff up and how, at least in today, some of this would result in an absolute battle. Um, and I want to first take a look at uh, Thomas Jefferson's last will and testament. So here's the thing about Thomas Jefferson. 
Uh, he uh, he penned a uh, Declaration of Independence, which makes him uh, pretty qualified to write his own will. Uh, so he wrote his own will. Uh, it's what we call a holographic will, somebody that writes it themselves. Um, now, that is not a thing you should do. You are not Tem- Thomas Jefferson, uh, and you're going to make a ton of mistakes. And, and he even caught himself making some mistakes here. So what's really interesting here is by the time Thomas Jefferson wrote his will, he, uh, he had already lost his wife, and so he's a single person. And he has something like seven different executors tied into this thing in different uh, points. And, and so he goes on to describe what he wants to happen uh, with the, the real estate and whatnot. And, and there's a, a paragraph in there that says, I subject all my other property to the payment of debts. I'm not sure we would include that. But here's the thing that I think is the most interesting f- thing from Jefferson's will. <clears throat> Jefferson's uh, had uh, some issues with his son-in-law, Thomas M. Randolph, okay? And we can tell it's right in the will that there was some problems here. Um, now, uh, Jefferson's daughter uh, would have been Martha, married to Thomas M. Randolph. Um, but here's some interesting things. So let me, uh, let me just read you a passage out of Thomas Jefferson's will here. He says, Considering the insolvent state of affairs of my friend and son-in-law, Thomas M. Randolph, and that will remain of my property, will be the only resource against the want in which his family would otherwise be left. It must be his wish, as it is my duty, to guard that resource against all liability for his debts, engagements, purposes whatsoever. Now, this is a really poetic way here that Jefferson is is handling a difficult issue. And what he's saying is, Thomas M. Randolph married my daughter, and he's got an insolvent estate. He doesn't have any money. He's got some debts. He's got some creditor issues. And what I'm concerned about is if I just leave Thomas M. Randolph the money, which would have been custom in the time is to leave the money to a male rather than a female, uh, he wanted to take care of his daughter, Martha, which would have normally meant give it to Tom, but he, uh, Jefferson doesn't feel comfortable, which is why he, he puts in this sort of poetic language about here um, that uh, to, to guard against his debts, it must be his wish, meaning Tom, it must be his wish, that is, it is my duty to guard that resource against all liability for his debts, engagements, and purposes whatsoever, and to preclude the rights and powers over it, which might result to him by operation of law, which would bring the money to his creditors. So what is he doing here? He's protecting his daughter, Martha, from her knucklehead son-in-laws. Now, maybe Thomas wasn't a knucklehead. I don't know. But he's got some creditor issues. Uh, and, And to that end, he skips Thomas. He puts the money in a trust for the benefit of Martha. And then he names Thomas J. Randolph, his grandson, presumably Thomas M. Randolph. I didn't do that much homework. But he names his grandson to be the trustee over the money for his parents, right? And then the duty of Thomas J. is to take care of his mom. Um, and so now we've got this whole thing in a trust, which is, which you know, now you've got Thomas J., the son, who if mom doesn't use the money, Thomas J. Instead, uh, stands to inherit, which is an interesting proposition here. Um, but in any event, Jefferson is going at long lengths to make sure that his son-in-law does not lose the money to creditors and liabilities and debts and the things that he's got going on from a negative standpoint. And rather, he's got it held in trust for the benefit of his daughter, Martha. Now, here's an interesting thing. It makes you wonder here if Martha, if um, Thomas Jefferson is concerned about a, a potential divorce or, or what the case is here, uh, in addition to the creditors, because he's not even putting uh, Tom in control of the money. Um, now, 
the the really interesting thing is we kind of do a similar thing today. Now, it is very common in my estate planning practice that we don't give your kids their inheritance outright. If if you follow our direction, a lot of the time what we do for our clients is we want our clients' uh, kids to receive their inheritance in a trust that protects it from their potential future divorces and lawsuits and creditor issues. Okay, so let's say I've got a little girl named Susie and I uh, want to leave an inheritance to Susie. Well, if I leave Susie her inheritance outright, um, she could potentially lose that if she goes through a divorce or if she would get sued or, or run into some other creditor issue. But Pennsylvania Trust Code allows, and whatever the, the, the state of the law was when Jefferson passed away, allows for me to do something a little different. And so what I might do for Susie, if I'm concerned about those issues, is I may leave her her inheritance in a thing that we call a separate share trust. So Susie gets her share of the inheritance in a trust. Now, she can be in control of the money. She can use the money however that she wants, but she doesn't technically own it. And under the Pennsylvania Trust Code, what that means is if it is, uh, if the money's in the trust, it's protected from her potential future creditors, her potential future divorce, and now I've protected my little girl, and I've given her her cake, and she can eat it too. She can she can be in control of the cake, and um, she can use the cake how she wants. She can use the trust how she wants, but it's not subject to anybody else, so nobody else can take her cake, which is essentially what uh, what Jefferson was trying to do here. Now he goes through some different things with the house at Monticello and what he wants to have happen there. Um, again, we've got the grandson as the executor during his life. Um, and, uh, and then um, Thomas Jefferson signs it, and then he goes to bed. And then he wakes up the next morning, and he changes it. Okay, so he first signs his will, at least this will, on March 16th in uh, 1826. Now, the next day he wakes up, and he says, I, Thomas Jefferson make and add the following codicil to my will, controlling the same so as far as its provisions go. Um, And now he includes some sort of a moral obligation here on his daughter. Remember, we were talking about Martha a second ago. Uh, He says, I recommend. Now, that's an interesting word in a will, I recommend, uh, because a recommendation, to my knowledge, um, you know, we, we wouldn't typically use that kind of language because it doesn't seem all that legally enforceable, and maybe that was Jefferson's intent. I, I recommend to my daughter... Uh, Martha, the maintenance and care of my well-beloved sister and Marks, and trust confidently that from her affection to her, as well as for my sake, that Martha will take care of her Aunt Anne. All right, so now we've got a moral obligation. Now, I don't like the whole moral obligation thing when it comes to estate plans. Um, here's, here's the thing. A lot of people will do this. They'll say, I'm going to give the money to my one kid, and then my kid will share it with their siblings. Well, y- y- if you're listening to the show, you know that doesn't happen, right? If, I, if I've got three kids, Larry, Moe, and Curly, and I give it all to Larry, and then Larry can split it out with Moe and Curly later, what are the odds Moe and Curly are ever going to see a red, nick, a, a red penny? And the answer is they're not. Uh, so I don't like this moral obligation. It would be my recommendation, if I could be so bold as to give Thomas Jefferson some legal advice here, I would say you probably don't want to do that. If you want to set some money aside for Anne, set some money aside for Anne. It doesn't have to be this moral obligation that Martha has no legal obligation to follow. Um, and then here's another hammer against his son-in-law. There's another paragraph here. Thomas, uh, the next day he slept on it, remember? And he, the next day he, he goes to amend the will, and he makes it, wants to make it even more clear that his son-in-law, Thomas M. Randolph, isn't getting anything. Um, he says, I have made no specific provision for the comfortable maintenance of my son-in-law, Thomas M. Randolph, because of the difficulty and uncertainty 
of devising terms which shall vest any interest in him, which will not also transfer to the benefit of his creditors, um, to the destitution of my daughter and her family. So what he's saying is, I just want to make it real clear, in case there was any room for doubt with what I wrote yesterday in today's will, Tom's not getting anything, okay? Because there's no way I can figure out how to give Thomas anything that he can enjoy and control that his creditors can't get to. Um, now, in theory, if we could go back in time, I, I really think Jefferson's goal is to take care of his daughter. He pretty much says as much here. It's just that they don't want to put ownership in, in the name of a female, from what I can gather. But we, if, if we did want to benefit Thomas, we could give uh, Thomas's inheritance in a trust that would effectuate uh, control and enjoyment. So um, it could be done a little bit different. Um, and then he does a couple other things the next day. He must have been thinking about his stuff that night. I, I, I suspect Jefferson didn't sleep very well on the night of March 16, 1826, because the next morning he then gives um, a gold-mounting walking staff uh, of animal horn as a token of the friendship to his friend James uh, Madison. He gives his books, his library to the University of Virginia, as long as they don't have duplicates. If they got duplicates, go ahead and give that to my grandson. Um he gives, this is a funny line, to my grandson Thomas Jefferson Randolph, I give my silver watch in preference of the golden one because of its superior excellence. Um, my papers of business going, of course, to him as my executor and all other, blah, 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 blah. So, so Jefferson says, I want him to get the silver watch. The gold watch, you might, you, you might be mistaken and think that the gold watch is a better watch, but uh, Jefferson wants to make it really clear. No, 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 no. The silver watch is the better watch. So um, not a lot of, you know, a little bit more detail than we would probably include because then um, it turns out that there's more watches. Um, two paragraphs later, or the next paragraph, I give a gold watch to each of my grandchildren so uh, who shall not have already received one from me to be purchased and delivered by my executor to my grandsons at the age of 21 and granddaughters at that of 16. So apparently Thomas Jefferson had a thing for timepieces. He's got some gold watches, but the nice one's a silver one. And then then comes the big ones. So it must have been, um, like I said, a sleepless night. Here comes the freedom paragraphs. I give to my good, affectionate, faithful servant Burwell his freedom and the sum of $300 to buy necess- uh, necessaries to commence his trade of painter. Uh, so we are we are now freeing some slaves. I've given also to my good servants, John and Joe, their freedom, uh, but not until one year after I pass away, into each of them the tools they need for their callings. Um, and then he had some apprentices that must have been indebted to them, So, and he has a, a, a wish that the state of Virginia will give them, uh, allow them to stay in the state of Pennsylvania, uh, Virginia, rather. So we have, uh, we have a really interesting will here. I... I you know, I, I didn't actually, uh, prior to researching it for this show, I hadn't heard anything. I started reading this thing. I'm thinking, well, I see where Jefferson's going with this. I, I, uh, I uh, particularly the, the um, creditor-laden son uh, is, is a lot of planning we do a lot of. And so that's Jefferson's, uh, Jefferson's will. You want to protect your daughter from her potential future divorce. That's the thing we do a lot. You should be like Thomas Jefferson and protect your kid from their future divorce and come learn about that at our upcoming workshops um there's another fun uh will to take a look at and that is the will of um benjamin franklin now ben franklin um was uh was the president who never became president of course right uh but he did some interesting things with his self-written will now you are also not ben franklin so don't go write in your own will but what franklin says is he gives his printing press to his daughter and he gives his musical instruments in relief of any debts to his son-in-law. So he's actually given something to his son-in-law. 
but on the condition that his son-in-law set free his slave named Bob. So here's Benjamin Franklin giving musical instruments in forgiving debt on the condition that Bob goes free. Um, there's another paragraph that gives 408 diamonds to his daughter. Must be nice. Uh, I, I, there's probably very few people who wouldn't like to inherit 408 diamonds. But there's some conditions here, too, and I think this is just hilarious. Provided that she not make them into jewelry and thereby introduce or countenance the expensive, vain, and useless fashion of wearing jewels in this country. My, 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 how times have changed. Uh, she can have the diamonds, but just don't put them in any jewelry. It, now, it, it calls into question, okay, she says, fine, I won't put the diamonds into jewelry. She receives the diamonds. She's got this bag of diamonds, which I don't know what else you're going to do with them other than sell them for cash for somebody else who's going to put them in jewelry. Um, but here's the, here's, here's the question I have for you. You put in this, this condition that is utterly unenforceable. Who's, who, where are the diamond police? If, uh, if the daughter goes and puts them into jewelry in five years, uh, are, is the diamond police, are they going to come and take the diamonds back? Is, you know, and so this is probably a pretty ineffective um, uh, condition here. Um, and then he does two things that were really, really neat. He gives $55,000. The article I'm looking at um, is uh, $55,000 in 2010 um, dollars, right? So uh, an amount that would have been $55,000 in 2010, more modern times, right? Um, to the city of Philadelphia and to the city of Boston to be held in trust. Um, now, the the way that it goes, it was $55,000 held in trust in Philadelphia for 200 years. So the, the money is to be held in trust for 200 years, and over time, it was uh, it was able to be given out as loans to people that were doing uh, starting in business or starting trades and stuff, which is really neat. It's like this business incubator that um, Benjamin Franklin put together. As of 1990, which was 200 years after Ben Franklin passed away, th this trust had grown, and even though it had made some distributions, it still had 200. Uh, oh wait, I'm sorry, rather two million dollars in it. That the city of Philadelphia now it's been 200 years. It's time to dissolve the trust. Um, city of Philadelphia did it in in the form of giving it to uh, to scholarships in different um, in different fields that uh, would have they think been consistent with what Ben Franklin would have wanted. So that's a pretty neat story. So he he had some charitable intention uh, and he left it up to the city of Philadelphia to carry that out, which is pretty neat. Did the same thing in Boston. Now by twenty uh, by nineteen ninety two hundred years after he passed away, this trust had five million dollars in it um, and. Um, it was uh, used to essentially establish and fund a trade school. So both of uh, these funds ended up going to improve people's uh, futures, which I think is a pretty neat idea. Right? So um, kind of surprised it lasted 200 years and there wasn't some successful challenge to this thing to get the money out sooner. But, but there you have it. So that's Ben Franklin's uh, estate plan. Now, not a founding father, but somebody equally important and somebody that we need to talk about is Abraham Lincoln. Now, Abraham Lincoln was the first president to be assassinated, and Abraham Lincoln was also the first one to pass away without a will. Shame on you, Abraham Lincoln. Uh, if I could give Abraham Lincoln some advice, um, I'd say you need to do an estate plan. you got a young son. you got a, you have a wife. Um, you happen to be the president of the United States and uh, have some interests in uh, different things, and so we should probably plan for those things. Now, here's the interesting thing. Abraham Lincoln, you were a lawyer. You're a lawyer. 
and you don't have a will. Um, and so he died intestate, and uh, at the time, it seems, pretty much everything went for the benefit of his lovely bride. Now, here's the thing, though. That's not how it would happen today, right? So if you are married and you have children, as Abraham Lincoln did, um, and you pass away without a will, a lot of people assume all my money is going to go to the benefit of my spouse, but not in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania's law would not result in that outcome. So if you're under the impression that if you pass away, your husband or your wife is just going to get it all, that's not true if you have kids. So the way that it works is with the estate is your spouse takes the first $30,000 uh, that is in your estate, and then they need to split the rest with your children. Well, what if your children are underage? What if your children and your, and your spouse don't get along? What if somebody's disabled? What if somebody uh, can't make good decisions? Who, who's, who's doing all this? Who's planning for this? What happens if your child goes through a divorce? Um, and so it is foolhardy to do a couple things that we've seen these guys do. It is foolhardy to write your own will. You're not Thomas Jefferson. You're not Ben Franklin. You don't have the gift of the pen the way that they did. And you don't want to do it on your own. I don't care if that means in pen or printing some form off the Internet. We need to do real planning if you want to accomplish some real objectives. The second thing is um, that you you need to do some planning, right? So let's go back to the beginning. The Constitution guarantees you life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Happiness is a thing that most of my clients tell me in retirement. They get some sort of happiness by knowing that they have put together a plan that lines out what would happen in the event they get sick or they pass away. I, you know, one of the biggest, I, I think, stressors that clients come to us with is what I'll just call the unknown. I don't know what will happen if. I don't know what happens if I get disabled. I don't know how we would pay for a nursing home. I don't know what will happen with my stuff when I pass away. And also, I don't know about my um, my daughter's marital decision, right? I don't know that my daughter, Martha, has married very well. And I am concerned that if I leave her some money, it's just going to end up with him or with his creditors, which would be um, seem to be the thing that we want to plan for. Now, we can plan for that. The same way Thomas Jefferson planned for his daughter and the eventual uh, implosion of his, son's uh, his son-in-law's financial affairs, we can do that as well for your kids. It's a thing that we typically default to. Most of our clients' uh, kids will receive their inheritance in a trust because why wouldn't you want to get your money in a trust that you can control and benefit from, but nobody else can get to it. It's, 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 it's a no-brainer. Um, and you can see 230 years ago, um, some pretty smart guys were thinking about giving their kids their inheritance in a trust for exactly this reason. Uh, and the, uh, the logic that they were using still holds true today. So what I would con uh, encourage you to do is come to one of our upcoming estate planning and elder law workshops where we can teach you to be your own Thomas Jefferson. We can teach you to plan for your affairs in a way that the assets will benefit your family and not your dirty son-in-law and not your dirty son-in-law's gambling creditors or drinking problem. Um, we can benefit your family. And if, you're, if your child happens to unfortunately pass away then and the money's still in that trust, we can take care of your grandchildren rather than have the money pour over to your dirty, rotten uh, son-in-law. Now, I'm sure you don't have a dirty, rotten son-in-law. Uh, nobody has any of those. But maybe, just maybe, um, somebody does, and, and we need to do some planning for this because we are constantly surprised by how um, marriages we thought were perfect were not so perfect, and we need to plan for it. Um, I, I don't think that a um, an episode on Independence Day – 
in living independently would be complete without a nod to my good friends at the Life Program. So um, one of the things a lot of my clients tell me is that uh, seniors in particular with health care issues is that they want to stay in their home as long as possible. They want to live independently which is um, a great thing that Pennsylvania has a program called Living Independently for the Elderly, which is a uh, program that is paid for by Medicaid uh, that you can get for free to keep you in your house. Now, the thing about Medicaid eligibility for the LIFE program is that we have to play within their uh, complicated asset and income limitations. So if you've got a senior in your life or if you are a senior and you're worried about um, possibly a nursing home admission at some time in the not-too-distant future, Perhaps we ought to be taking a look at the LIFE program, Living Independently for the Elderly. I can um, help you uh, understand how to become eligible for this program. They've got adult day facilities. They have care provided in the home. They come. They pick you up. They take you to doctors. They, they do the whole works and, uh, and really facilitate a situation where I have seen my own clients be able to stay in their home years after they otherwise would have needed to go to the nursing home. So if living independently is important to you on this Independence Day, one of the things that we probably want to talk about is the program called Living Independently for the Elderly in Pennsylvania Nationally. It's called the PACE program, um, and we help families uh, pretty frequently gain eligibility even when they thought they had too much money for this program. So I'd love to talk to you about it. If you've got some questions, you can go to uh, estateplantim.com. So the name of my law firm is the Seckler Law Firm, but that's hard to spell. So go to estateplantim.com, and you can uh, you can give us a call. You can schedule, and we'll help you understand if, if this program is for you. So um, I hope that you found this, uh, this episode education and informational. Please don't make any decisions based on it or any other radio show. If you need some help, give us a call, 724-546-4227. Have a great holiday weekend, folks. We'll see you soon. This has been the Life and Legacy Show, sponsored by the Seckler Law Firm, where great families make great plans. SecklerLawFirm.com or call 724-841-1393.